He is seeing not only the temple as it was in Jerusalem in his time, but also earlier. And this means that as Ezekiel prophesies in Babel, his prophetic vision is traversing not only the barriers of space, but also time. The prophet then sees denizens of Jerusalem bowing down to the sun, with God informing him of the forthcoming destruction. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 164, A Flight to Jerusalem. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. The movie Patton, starring George C. Scott, depicts the general as a brilliant, gifted, flawed, and exceedingly idiosyncratic man who believed that he had himself been personally present at the great battles throughout human history, and who himself wrote poetry in expression of this belief. Thus, toward the beginning of the film, in a scene that we have sent to you, Patton is driving with another general, Omar Bradley, when he suddenly stops at the scene of an ancient battle. Patton says to Bradley, It was here. The battlefield was here. The Carthaginians defending the city were attacked by three Roman legions. The Carthaginians were proud and brave, but they couldn't hold. Two thousand years ago, I was here. Patton then notices that Bradley is looking amusedly at him, and Patton says, You don't believe me, do you, Brad? You know what the poet said. Through the travail of ages, midst the pomp and toils of war, have I fought and strove and perished countless times upon a star. As if through a glass and darkly, the age-old strife I see, where I fought in many guises, many names, but always me. And then after finishing the poem, Patton says to Bradley, Do you know who the poet was? Me. This was indeed a poem that Patton wrote. It is a scene cinematically set up to stress his strangeness. For who but an extremely odd individual would speak as if an event that occurred millennia ago had actually occurred to him? And yet, the truth is that this is exactly what Jews seem to say at the climax of the Magid portion of the Haggadah. In every generation and generation, we say at the Seder, one is obligated to see himself as if he personally left Egypt. We add. Not only did the Almighty take out our ancestors from there, but also us. What does this mean? How can we remember something that did not physically, actually, involve ourselves? In examining this exhortation, to see ourselves in every generation as if we left Egypt, let us focus on the first three words of the sentence. Behold dor vador, in every generation and generation. It would have been sufficient for the Haggadah to say, Behold dor chayav adam. In every generation, we are obligated to see ourselves as if we left Egypt. But an extra Hebrew word is added, Bechol dor vador, in every generation and generation. Why the seeming redundancy? The rabbis, I think, are keying us into the essence of intergenerational Jewish memory, which lies in linking dor vador, generation to generation. The key to Jewish memory is seeing ourselves as part of a link in transmission with every Jewish generation connected to the one before and the one after, and therefore all intimately bound up with each other. Herein lies the uniqueness of the Jewish perspective. The great historian Chaim Yosef Yerushalmi, in his classic book Zachor, wrote that, quote, if Herodotus was the father of history, the fathers of meaning in history were the Jews, end quote. In other words, Greek history examines and preserves great feats that occurred in a specific generation, in a particular door, but Jewish memory applies meaning between dor vador, between generation and generation. The memory of each connecting those who have come before and those that will follow. 
Those that preceded us passed on to us their memories, and we, in linking ourselves back to them, make their memories our own. In every generation and generation, as part of a chain, that is how we re-experience the Exodus. And that, of course, is how we as Jews remember moments of destruction as well. For as we have mentioned on Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, Jews mourn the burning of the temple by Babylon and by Rome, as if those moments are happening to us. We remember both events as if, to paraphrase Patton, we were there. And we are able to do so because in a certain sense, we were there. After the past chapters describing Ezekiel's symbolic predictions of all that is yet to come, suddenly the prophet details to us how, in a vision, God picks him up and flies him across the Middle East from Babel to Jerusalem to see a city suffused in sin and idolatry. Chapter 8, verses 3, 5, 6, 9, and 10. And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of fury, which provoketh to fury. Then he said unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north. And behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of fury in the entry. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary? But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things, and abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. The image of provoking fury. What this means is that the prophet sees in the temple idolatrous forms of abominable beings that Israelites are worshiping upon the Temple Mount. Now at this we might immediately wonder, for this vision is taking place during the reign of Zedekiah, only a few years before the destruction of the first temple. And there was no indication that at that period there was open idolatry in the temple itself. It seems, therefore, as Rabbi Yigal Ariel writes, that the prophet is seeing a vision that is joining and melding generations together. He is not only witnessing the temple as it was in his own age, but also in the previous one of King Menashe, whose idolatrous acts on the Temple Mount provoked God's decree of destruction. Ezekiel, in other words, is experiencing an interlocking of door vador, of generation and generation, with the past, many decades before him, becoming real before his eyes. He is seeing not only the temple as it was in Jerusalem in his time, but also earlier. And this means that as Ezekiel prophesies in Babel, his prophetic vision is traversing not only the barriers of space, but also time. The prophet then sees denizens of Jerusalem bowing down to the sun, with God informing him of the forthcoming destruction. Verse 17. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence, and have returned to provoke me to anger, and lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Ezekiel then sees six figures, which are, according to the medieval commentators, embodiments of God's destructive wrath, along with a seventh, a figure clothed in linen, who marks certain individuals to be saved. Next chapter, verse 2. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. Suddenly, Ezekiel turns from past and present to imminent future. 
as a sign of the destruction, he visualizes these six figures slaying the residents of Jerusalem, and he cannot contain himself. Verse 8, And it came to pass while they were slaying them, and I was left, that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Our Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? What is the meaning of this vision? As others note, Ezekiel sitting in Babel is given a vision of what will occur to Jerusalem, along with the reasons for God's wrath, so that he can explain these events to the Jews that are already in exile. But there is much more to say. For as we've already explained, the visions about Jerusalem bestowed upon Ezekiel, who is many miles away from Jerusalem, provides a model for our ancestors throughout history, who were also many miles from Jerusalem, and yet were able to connect to it all the same. Jews that lived many generations after the destruction of Jerusalem, and yet were able to re-witness it all the same. Ezekiel, in this bridging of space and time, visualizes from Babel both the sins of Jerusalem that occurred before his generation, as well as the destruction of Jerusalem that is yet to occur. And therefore, we can suggest that this vision provides a parallel to how Jews have remembered and re-experienced the destruction of Jerusalem. As Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik has written, It is from the prophets that we learn how to relate to God when we mourn destructions. It is only because Jeremiah begins his lamentation with Echa, how can this be, God, that we too, Rabbi Soloveitchik said, believe that we can cry out to God, Echa, how can this be happening, God, to your people? And it is the power of intergenerational connection, what Rabbi Soloveitchik called our unitive time consciousness, that allowed our ancestors as Jews, year after year to re-experience the destruction of Jerusalem, many miles away from Jerusalem. And it is our ancestors' faith in the prophets that inspired them, year after year, to join their voices with those of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, to cry out to God, but also, like the prophets, to look to the promise of redemption yet to come. Thus again, in chapter 9, Ezekiel falls on his face and cries out, Our Lord God, wilt thou make a full end of the remnant of Israel? God replies in verse 16 with very famous words, Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I will be to them as a small sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, I will gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. God thus says through Ezekiel that he will be for the people a mikdash ma'at, a tiny temple, a small sanctuary to Israel in exile, meaning that his presence with the people would remain and that the Jewish people would ultimately return. Thus, on the ninth of Av, our ancestors, in parallel to Ezekiel, journeyed to Jerusalem, visualized Jerusalem, experienced a vision of the destruction, but also concluded, in the words of Lamentations, Hashivenu Hashem Elecha Return us to you, God, and we shall return. Renew our days as of old, remembering not only the destruction, but also all the redemptions that took place in history from Passover on, and maintaining their faith in them occurring once again. This, in turn, allows, I think, new insight into the Haggadah. The phrase Bechol Dor Vador in every generation and generation appears in the Haggadah twice, but rarely elsewhere, to my knowledge, in rabbinic liturgy. The most famous version of this phrase is the one we mentioned. In every generation and generation, one is obligated to see oneself as if he left Egypt. But then there is the other. In every generation, they rise up against us to destroy us. But God saves us from their hands. That this phrase appears twice, 
in one larger text and seldom elsewhere, should hint to us, I think, that the phrase is central to what is being experienced and that the two sentences are linked. It is as if the Haggadah is saying the following, If you wish to know how Jews endured destructions, even as enemies rose up against them in every generation, the source of endurance is to be found in the Jewish capacity taught to us by the prophets for memory of redemption in every generation. We see ourselves as connected to those who have come before, and it is this that sustains us in the face of every generation's enemies, in the face of all the trials that occur in every generation. Two years ago, before Passover, I received an email from Zev Orenstein, who works for the Ir David Foundation in Jerusalem. He described the charming story that had just occurred, which I think is resonant with meaning. Apparently, 15 years ago, a teenage Israeli boy went on a tour of the city of David, and on a deer from his friends, he stole something. He took a 2,000-year-old small catapult stone that had been fired by the Romans at the Temple Mount during the siege and ultimate destruction of Jerusalem. This Israeli kid took the stone home and forgot about it. Fifteen years later, when he and his family were cleaning for Pesach, for Passover, he uncovered the stone that he had stolen 15 years earlier, and he experienced pangs of guilt. And so he anonymously sent the stone back, restoring it to the city of David right before Passover. A stone used 2,000 years ago to destroy Jerusalem now returned on display in a Jewish Jerusalem about to commemorate, remember, and re-experience the redemption of the Exodus. Jerusalem was about to heed the obligation of the Haggadah in every generation and generation, re-experience your ancestors leaving Egypt. And suddenly, there was return to Jerusalem, an extraordinary reminder of what the Romans wrought on Tisha B'Av. In every generation and generation, they rise up against us to destroy us. And when we take the two together in tandem, we realize in a powerful and intimate way that the only ones remembering the Roman assault on Jerusalem, the only one keeping that past alive, the only ones holding on to this archaeological memento of an empire that once ruled the world, is the Jews, for the Roman Empire is gone. A remnant, an archaeological curiosity, as Jews still remember our ancient exodus as if it was yesterday. The passages describing Ezekiel's journey across space and time to Jerusalem are terrifying. But in retrospect, they also contain a source of hope, the ability to traverse between generation and generation, to journey to Jerusalem across the boundaries of distance of space and time. This was an ability granted not only to the prophets, but to all of us. And that is why we are still here. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.